Church discipline is like the other part of church membership. Church discipline in the widest sense is just any teaching of what it means by the church uh, to be a Christian. The church disciplines, the church teaches. But what we normally mean in English when we say that these days is we mean excommunication. We mean cutting somebody off. We mean excluding them from membership, telling them formally that they should not come to the Lord's table. The, the main way we practice church discipline is through positive teaching. Uh, teaching one another what God's Word says. Teaching one another how we are to live. Uh, that certainly, that, that formative, positive discipline uh, has got to be uh, the most loving thing that we can do for one another. And yet because we love one another, just as, as parents love their children, or, or good friends love one another, from time to time we will, we will correct one another. Uh, we will lovingly look out um, for the other's interests when they may not see the danger they're in and, and call them to repentance, call them to renewed fellowship with the Lord. The punishment is meant for correction. It's meant to lead them to change. Uh, it's not vengeance. It's not vengeance is, is God's. It's not ours. We are all fellow sinners. But Christians are those who are repenting from our sins. And church discipline is there for the people who claim to be repenting of their sins but don't. Corrective discipline isn't just the, the final stage of, of someone being excluded from the church, but even corrective discipline should be regularly going on in personal relationships as we lovingly and gently rebuke each other. And so we come to see that discipline really is this whole project of helping build each other up in the faith, both positively by encouragement and teaching and by, by correcting sin that we see. The discipline of a church, both formative and corrective, aims to build up, lovingly build up Christians. And, and sometimes that means threatening them with an F, to use the classroom metaphor. Look, if, if, if your profession isn't matching your life, you, you get an F. Now, we don't want to give you an F. We want you to get an A, and we're going to try to help you get an A. But sometimes you need to be excluded to realize, no, Christ calls you to something different, a different kind of life. That's a loving thing to do. That takes courage, and that kind of courage is only motivated by a real love for God and love for the other person. If we want to just avoid conflict, uh, if we don't want people looking at our own lives too closely, we'll avoid church discipline. But if we want to honor the Lord, if we want to obey His Word, we'll somehow figure out, even in this society, how we can practice church discipline. I think one of the greatest marks of a healthy church that you can see if you're a Christian, or certainly if you're a pastor, is to look out across the congregation and see person after person growing in Christ. Trusting in Christ through their cancer, trusting in Christ through prosperity, trusting in Christ when the kids are little and they're tired. One of the most essential things that we have to do as pastors is to work to cultivate in our churches um, these kinds of interlocking, meaningful, growth-inducing relationships um, that wherein we are helping each other become faithful to the Lord, to observe what He has commanded and to, to do what He's called us to do, uh, to live in a manner worthy of His name. Uh, and that's, that's how we grow. One of the great things about uh, discipling relationships in the context of a local church is that uh, in a world which is consumed with peer review and the ideas of your peers, the blogosphere, which is constantly giving us feedback from people who have no more experience than we do, but a very democratic way to fuel debate and conversation, is you give someone the opportunity to actually get out of the world of their peers and get a different perspective in life. I think that it's, it's especially important for young men to seek out 
the counsel of pastors and other church leaders and older godly men so that they learn by imitation. We see that that's how, that's how Paul instructed Timothy. He, he said, you know my way of life. You know my sufferings and persecutions and all the trials I endured. And, and he charged Timothy to imitate him in those ways. I think uh, every pastor should grab uh, a young guy or a few young guys, depending on their context, and, and disciple them and train them because every pastor, every Christian, in a sense, mature Christian, but especially pastors, are in a position to train uh, younger folks in the faith, to pass on the faith. When the Lord brought people into my life who invested in me and I saw the fruit of the gospel in my life, I desperately wanted to see other people be discipled by me or by others and commit my life to that. So really, you know, preaching, evangelism, it's all of it is designed to be vehicles that the Holy Spirit uses to grow people in the gospel. And there's nothing more important than that. One of the most important parts of having a healthy church is having healthy church leadership. I think we can see in looking at the New Testament that there are people called elders. And at least the New Testament example is that those elders uh, are more than one. They're in the plural in local churches. Leaders will, will inevitably press their own character onto the congregation because we're set forth as models and we are, are called to be teachers. We will inevitably in some way be, be modeling and teaching things that, that cause many in the congregation to look like us. And that's great insofar as we look like Christ. It's disastrous if we don't. And so what we are looking for in leaders are, are these little pictures of, of the Lord Jesus. That leadership that these elders are to exercise is to be countercultural. It's not to be self-serving and for their own betterment and for their own agenda and for their own kind of name and glory, but it's for the good of others. It's, it's sacrificial leadership. It's costly leadership. It's leadership that has the good of others in mind at, at your own personal expense. By God's grace, I've been able to serve with a plurality of elders in my particular congregation and have in a couple of other congregations. And I can't tell you what a benefit it has been to sit around the table with those guys and these tough situations of shepherding have come up and I've thought to myself, I don't know, that's, that's tough, I, I need wisdom. And to be able to sit there with this godly group of brothers and share that shepherding, that pastoring burden together has been of immense benefit to me and I think, I pray, immense benefit to the congregation and to the people we are trying to help. As a pastor, I rejoice in the opportunity to share leadership itself with other men who are raised up in the congregation. Um, just as leaders are a gift to the church, fellow elders are a gift to the pastor. Uh, I don't have all the skills that are necessary, the gifts that are necessary, to shepherd a congregation of any size. Um, and so I need men who are differently gifted, who round out my own giftings. I need men who are, who are godly um, to, to spur me on. Just try to make sure you've got godly men around you that meet those qualifications in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3, that the congregation is recognized as elders or whatever they would call them. Uh, and then together as a group, pray that God will grow your congregation to more and more health.